Duncan Campbell, who was uh, the great revivalist of the mid part of the last century, saw, was there at the Lewis Awakening. He says this, How is it that while we make such great claims for the power of the gospel, we see so little of supernatural in operation? If Christianity is a religion not of aspiration only, but preeminently of fulfillment, how is it that revival tarries? Is there any reason why the church today, now listen, cannot everywhere equal the church at Pentecost? I feel that this is a question that we ought to face with an open mind and an honest heart. What did the early church have that we do not possess today? Nothing but the Holy Spirit, nothing but the power of God. Here I would suggest that one of the main secrets of success in the early church lay in the fact that the early believers believed in unction from on high and not entertainment from men. And a lot more could be said about that. But how true. The New Testament church that we marvel at in the book of Acts and we read of in the epistles is the great heritage we have and the model for us today. Another perspective was by Baxter in his book, Why Should We Not Have a Perpetual Pentecost? The Holy Ghost is not withdrawn, but there are a few men but there are few men who are empty enough of self to go all lengths with the Holy Ghost without diverging into the self of fanaticism. Two probing quotes that I wanted to start with because we're going to be looking at our individual lives and the greatness of our God, but I want us in our minds to understand that each of us as an individual believer has a direct impact upon the work of God. And that each of us should be exemplifying ongoing revival victory in our personal lives. And so I'd like you to turn with me to John chapter 15 as we look at the first of several of the designations by Christ himself in the Gospel of John of the I Am. And we're going to be looking at some of those as we've been going over the attributes of God in the last several months, and now we're looking at Jesus and his definite claim to being Jehovah, the I Am. He is God Almighty. In fact, the Gospel of John was written quite a number of decades after the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the Spirit of God inspired him to write it to underscore the fact that Jesus Christ is the Creator God, the Son of the living God, the second person of the Trinity. And uh, it is a great treatise using his life and teachings uh, to to give us that clarity. And so, as the Lord Jesus has been with the disciples in the upper room, the Passover meal had been finished. He had given them the tremendous discourses, especially John 14, on the fact that the Comforter would come and that they would be able to do greater works because he was going to go to his Father. He then gets down to how they would be able to operate without him. Now, they were, of course, very discouraged. They saw all of this as negative, but it was very positive as they would soon learn. And so they began to head toward the uh, Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, from the south part of Jerusalem, what's called Mount Zion. 
And so they're traversing the, the little pathways. And by the way, that very same pathway is still there today at the level that was at Christ's time. That's an amazing thing. And you can actually see the very stones that those men walked on uh, to go over to the garden. And they were going to be facing some great trials in the days ahead and a great opportunity. And uh, so this teaching here at the beginning of John 15, which really forms the thinking of, of, the, of the entire chapter, is one of the most precious uh, perspectives that we can have on the Christian life. And so here we see the first of the I am's that I'm going to talk about. Uh, there are others that are earlier than this one. Uh, but I'd like to look at verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now let's unpack this a little bit. We're going to do it in, by looking at the three different parts of this illustration that the Lord gives of the vine. First of all, the fruitful vine itself. That's the whole heart of these uh, few verses here. The fruitful vine. Israel was to be God's choice vine. God had so worked it that the people of Israel were to show forth Jehovah God's glory. Obviously through Israel came the truth that we have known as the Word of God here. So much as uh, we have been given, they were to be a fruitful vine. And uh, one commentator says, this is the last of the seven great I am statements in John. Israel was God's choice vine on which he lavished care and attention. He longed for fruit, but the vine Israel became degenerate and produced rotten fruit. Therefore, Jesus, as the true vine, fulfills what God had intended for Israel. And by the way, what he now intends for us. God's people are here uh, to give forth the great truth of our God and what he has done for us. In fact, every time you look at the designation of Israel as a vine, it always ends up in the negative. Let me give you several Examples of that. Isaiah 5.1, Now I will sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard, in it a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it and gathered out the stones thereof and planted it with the choicest vine and built a tower in the midst of it and also made a wine presser in. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes and it brought forth wild Grapes. Isaiah 5 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah his pleasant plant. And he looked for judgment, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, 
but will hold a cry. And then Jeremiah 2.21, Yet I had planted thee a noble vine, wholly a right seed. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me? <laughs> These are depressing, aren't they? Anyway, one more, Hosea 10.1, Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself according to the multitude of his fruit. He hath increased the altars according to the goodness of his land. They have made goodly images, speaking of idolatry. And so Israel has been anything but, except for a few periods of time in their history, a glory, uh, the, the glory of God uh, being seen in them and a message of hope to the nations. It's tragic. In fact, even in the restoration of Israel to the land, which is one of the great miracles of history, uh, just like a few years ago, uh, a Swiss uh, Christian wasn't allowed to disembark from her ship when she arrived in Haifa, Israel, because they said it was a faith visit she was going. She had, was a missionary, but she was going for some legitimate activity. They wouldn't let her get off. Police prevented her from coming ashore on grounds that she had engaged in missionary activities on previous visits and intended to continue. And so uh, they have done up till right now everything possible to stop any kind of message of the gospel going forth in Israel. That has been, unfortunately... Now, thankfully, there are multitudes of believing Jewish people. Praise the Lord for that. But as a nation throughout its history, how tragic it has been. And, and so the Lord Jesus in Christ is the perfect vine. Now, I'm going to take just a moment here because we're looking at I am that I am. Let's go back to verse 1. I am the true vine. He very carefully states this. And here we realize that Jesus Christ is God and that he indeed is able to glorify God the Father because he has a full heart and unity with the Father. He himself is deity. He will bring forth much fruit. And Jesus Christ as the, as the true vine is the source of love, of power, of truth, of long-suffering, of uh, hatred of sin. Uh, he is life and on you could go. Every attribute that we have highlighted as to the person of God, it is embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he is the vine that is the source of all that is good and all that is God. And so when we look at this and how it affects us, it's a stirring reality to think that all that God is, is directly affecting us moment by moment if we allow him to. Now, did you get that? All that he is can be affecting us and changing us, ministering to us, and become who we are if we are abiding in him. Almighty God the creator, the holy one of Israel. And so it is a, it's a glorious reality. As Colossians 1, 2, 20, uh, 1 27 says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mis mystery among the Gentiles, which is this Christ, 
this one who is God in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. And so God, uh, the Son, wants to abide in us. So let's look at this. We see now the true vine. Let's look at the purging husbandman. Often this part is forgotten. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman, the vine dresser. This means, folks, and this is very encouraging, it ought not be fearful. It ought to be very, very uplifting. He is personally at work in our lives. So here we have the great I am, Jesus Christ, who is going to uh, abide in us and we can, he can draw upon him and we have God the Father actually personally being involved in making us the kind of branch that is able to abide and have much fruit. Well, how does this occur? Well, let's look at the trimming of the vine, verse 2. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth fruit. And so this idea of take away also has the idea of lift up. It's a, it's a nuanced kind of uh, uh, perspective here. Boyce, I think, has a good perspective on it. This is precisely what is first done with vines, as anyone who has watched them being cared for knows. Grapes are not like squash or pumpkins that develop quite well while lying on the ground. They must hang free. Consequently, any branch that trails on the ground is unproductive. It would be a strange gardener who immediately cuts off such a branch without even giving it a chance to develop properly. But it would be a wise and customary for him to stretch the vine on an arbor or use some other means of raising it to the sun and air. Now, what is our natural propensity as human beings? To get down into the darkness of this world. You know, when you trust Christ as your Savior, my, what a joy it is when you realize you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you have been forgiven of your sins, you have been imputed the righteousness of Christ, you have everlasting life, there is great joy, there is great freedom, and yet Satan's going to do everything he can to get a believer to get back down into the dark, dank uh, ground of this world out of the sunlight of the presence of God, out of the fresh air of communion with the Holy Spirit in their life. And that happens all the time. And so we have the Father always working to, to get, take us and bring us back into fellowship with him through chastening, through different things in our life to get our attention. He cares about us. Now, it's really pretty amazing. God the Father right now is working on you and he's working on me. Uh, if, well, I tell you what, when we get to heaven and we look back that the God who sits on the throne has taken time for us personally, it's going to be amazing to us as we look at how he gently and firmly and consistently continues to draw him, draw us up and into his presence. And folks, we need to let God take the circumstances of life and cause us to come into a proper relationship with him. 
When I was uh, in high school, I got enamored with basketball. I made the team there in my public high school. And uh, I remember it was my God at that point. And I went for my physical, and I had grown six inches. That's why I made the basketball team. I had done it in about a year or less. And because of that, I had a temporary heart murmur, but they wouldn't allow me to play. That was hard. I was all excited about the next year. So I made the team, ready to go. And then I crushed my, one of my fingers. It's my, a knuckle had to have surgery that uh, the recovery was throughout the entire basketball season. I got it. I got it. I wasn't right with God. I had the wrong God. I hadn't surrendered to do what God had wanted me to do. And God used that. And right after that, I surrendered. Am I sorry about that? Was, that, was the Father not treating me right? Absolutely not. He saved my life. I'm forever indebted, just those little things, but he orchestrated it just right for me. Now, folks, don't worry about the negatives. He takes good things, too. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. He gives you people that care about you. He'll give you the right message. He'll bring you into the right circumstances. In fact, you'll begin to be aware of the love of God for you. Friend, if you're here and don't know the Lord as your Savior, He's gently and yet firmly working to get you to come to realize you can't save yourself. It is totally through the work of Christ. Oh, we can trust our, our Heavenly Father. He is good. For God, and you could almost say God the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so He wants us to not live in that state. And that's why, folks, don't, it, we don't need to be defending worldly living and trying to somehow rationalize. The Father's trying to get us out of that. We don't want to go contrary to our Heavenly Father. So we need to be very sensitive to what He wants in our life. And then there's the, the uh, second part of verse 2. Uh, if you're bearing fruit, now those that are not bearing fruit are living in the flesh. They're not really having victory. They're not seeing God work. But then there's there are Christians who are having blessing, and God is supernaturally using him, and yet God does pruning there. You see that he purgeth it or prunes it that it may bring forth more fruit. Hence the idea of cleanse and purify. Uh, I don't know a lot about horticulture in that sense, but in viticulture, uh, you have to get rid of the unnecessary shoots that come up. You have to be constantly pruning. There's both the cleansing of the branches by the stuff that gets in there, and primarily it's a matter of directing the flow of the sap right to the branches that will bear fruit. And uh, Andrew Murray says it well. Why must this be cut away? Because it draws away the strength and life of the vine and hinders the flow of the juice to the grape. The more it is cut down, the less wood there is in the branch, and the more all the sap can go to the grape. The wood of the branch must decrease, that the fruit for the vine may increase. In obedience to the law of all nature, that death is the way to life. That gain comes through sacrifice. The rich and luxurious growth of wood must be cut off and cast away, that the more abundant life may be seen in the cluster. In other words, he gets rid of the self-life. In other words, our life needs to be totally dependent upon God. The self-life cannot be draining the energy of our life or the focus or the dependence of our life. God is causing us to be in a place where God's, God is able to work divinely through us in our dependence upon Him so that He can bear much fruit for, through our lives. In fact, I love this quote by Spurgeon. I want you to look at this closely. 
He says, many trials are not sent for chastisements at all, but as preparations for higher usefulness. That's good. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth, evidently not because of any offense in the branch, but because the branch is good. By the way, if he's purging, that means, number one, you're a branch, and number one, you're a a good branch. Uh, The branch is good and does bear fruit. Therefore, it is allowed the special privilege of the pruning knife that it may bring forth more fruit. And see, the problem is, folks, selfishness comes in all the time. I've given this little illustration, but I think it says it as well as anything. A small boy and, and his sister are riding on the back of a new wooden horse given to them as a present. Suddenly, the boy turned to his sister and said, if one of us would get off there would be more room for me. And it's all about me. And folks, honestly, every day, if you'll think about how much is me, really. I mean, we're growing, we learn, but God the Father is carefully helping us see that and helping us realize that selfishness is keeping us back from the free flow of the divine energy of God's power in our life to accomplish great things for him. And so as God kindly works with us, we need to be listening. And you notice verse 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. The cleansing of the word. What we're doing right now is the cleansing of the word. Be in the word. Be saturated with the word. The spirit of God will convince you and convict you and help you. And he, by the way, the best way to get pruned is through the word. It's the easiest. Okay, just a little little hint there, okay? The quicker you can yield to the word, the less the father has to take the knife out or the rod or whatever you want to call it. Okay, uh, and, uh, but he loves us. And aren't you glad for every deliverance? But uh, deliverance will come if we're very sensitive to the word of God. And God wants us, for us to understand who we are, as we're going to talk about this week, and that we should be defined by his person. We can't be living in a self mentality and we can't be having hidden sin. My father used to say, holiness does not make you spiritual, it clears the deck so you can be. And, uh, and that's really true. It, it, the victory, it gets away the flesh having dominance. William Burns, the great revivalist, said, seeking per- personal holiness, the fundamental requisite for successful ministry or fruit bearing, as you could easily say. All right, now let's go to the key. Let's put this together. The third part of this illustration is the abiding branch. Now, before I get into this, let's just think for a moment. If you were to come up and see a vine on a trellis, I don't think any one of us would say, oh, look, there is a vine. And look, there are branches. That would be sort of unique, okay? What would you say? You'd say, oh, look at the vineyard or look at that vine. The vine and the branches are one. Folks, that's shouting ground. Over and over in the New Testament, we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's why the Lord's Supper is such a blessing because it is a visible uh, uh, illustration that can be seen of us being uh, in Christ and Christ in us. It is a glorious reality. 
And so uh, we need to understand that when we're talking about this. We're not talking about attaching ourselves to the vine. Folks, that's done by salvation. If you're here and never trusted Christ alone for salvation, then you are not part of the vine. And that's not a good thing. Um, But it's a glorious thing if you are saved. And you will be part of the vine until you're with him in glory. You will have fellowship with the Holy Spirit for eternity. And with the Son and with the Father. Okay? That's eternal life. But as far as abiding in him, that is a human responsibility. That is in in the imperative here. So the first idea is that it is a human responsibility and is something we're commanded to do. Look with me at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. Notice both sides of that. Abide in me and I in you. It's a two-way oneness. It's glorious. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. All right, we're part of the vine. And so what does it mean to abide? The idea is to continue to remain. Really, it's the idea of a dependent relationship with the vine, who is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. We are one with him, the great creator. And so we're already in him, but we can stop the flow by not depending upon him, by acting independent of him. Corey Tenboom said it well. Uh, all that she went through, she learned this. Connected with him and his love, I am more than conqueror. Without him, I am nothing. Like some railway tickets in America, I am not good if detached. (laughs) That's an old illustration, but uh, it does say it well. If we are detached, now we never get taken away from the vine, but we can act independently. You know, it would be really dumb, excuse the expression, for a, a vine branch to say, I can produce fruit on my own. I can live on my own. I can produce leaves. You know, look at me. I am really a branch. I mean, it's amazing. Have you ever seen such a branch? I mean, this is really great. Look how wonderful my leaves are. Well, give a few days and no leaves. Grapes are all withered up. If you've ever been out apple picking uh, and uh, you know, after a storm and you see a branch broken off at the time, there are already apples on the, on the branch, and it's been sitting there for a little bit of time. You don't want to pick those apples. Uh, they wither up. And so it's the idea of even though we are connected, to act like we are, to understand we cannot in and of ourselves produce anything. In fact, look at verse 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, notice that, two-way aspect again, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now, I want everyone to say this with me. Ready? For without me ye can do nothing. It's the idea of thinking I can do anything in life without God. We have the great privilege, folks, of being in the vine, and we have the supernatural enabling, the wisdom, the direction, the strength, the empowering, all that is needed to have a life that will produce much fruit that will last for eternity if we will just stay humbly dependent upon him, allowing him to work on our lives rather than us doing it ourselves. 
Think of how many Christians are just sort of withered on the vine because there's a block there of self-dependence, a block of sin that hasn't been dealt with, not yielded to the husbandman, the father, as he's been gently working and, and dealing with our lives, and we're just missing out, while other branches are just flourishing to the glory of God. We're living as though we're not connected. James McConkie says, God thus does not fill us as we might fill a, a pail, speaking of being filled with the Holy Spirit, with a supply independent of and separate from the fountain. Note this, he fills us as the branch is filled from the vine by union with it and daily, hourly drawing upon it for every whit of its supply. And so he who looks to Jesus constantly will not lack blessings, but he who looks to blessings will often lose hold upon Jesus. In other words, we're just looking for the results, not him. But we get filled on a regular basis uh, with his strength as we depend upon him. This is a key story. If you know the story of Hudson Taylor of China, who reached every province of China, who laid a foundation for a mighty work in that great land, he was in his, in his early mid-years, was doing great work, but he was frantic, working hard, and his health was about to break. And frankly, his friends thought that he was about to have a breakdown. He received a letter from a fellow missionary, John McCarthy, that told of a discovery he had made from this passage, John 15, the joy of abiding in Christ. McCarthy's letter said in part, abiding, not striving or struggling. We try so hard. You know, honestly, folks, you don't see any vine branches struggling to be a vine. Oh, I'm going to prepare for you now. Obviously not. They're just totally, they're made as vine branches and they're totally dependent upon the vine for all from the root system on up, the power of the vine coming into them to be able to bear fruit, right? And, uh, but we as believers are trying, we're striving, uh, or we're blocked in what we're doing. It's all the focus on ourself and we're cutting ourselves off from the tremendous flow of God's power. Well, that was what he was doing. Um, Abiding, not striving or struggling, look, looking off unto him, trusting him for present power. This is not new, and yet it's new to me. Christ literally all seems to me now the power, the only power for service, the only ground for unchanging joy. In other words, he began to realize, my life, uh, God will give me everything I need as I rest in him and trust in him and fully uh, obey him by depending upon his spirit uh, God can do a mighty work through me. As he read this letter at his mission station on Saturday, September 4, 1869, his own eyes were open. As I read, he recalled, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus, and when I saw, oh, how the joy flowed. We need to have constant communion with the Lord. Folks, you don't add Jesus to your Christian life. He is your Christian life. He is everything. The idea of prayer, praying without ceasing is just being constantly in awareness of him, dependent upon him. As you know, we can commune and talk with him throughout each day. You need wisdom, need direction, you need power, 
you need uh, to, to get over the wrong thinking, whatever it is, God will work. I'm telling you folks, it is the most thrilling thing in the world to be a simple branch that is abiding in the vine and to see the presence of God continue to flow into your life. You already have the indwelling spirit, but we have to depend upon God, not ourselves, and deal with anything that God deals with as the Father, as the vine dresser, is working in our life. And folks, we need to understand that the, most, the greatest privilege in the world is to fellowship with God. Someone asked Emily Post, what is the correct procedure when one is invited to the White House and has a previous engagement? She answered, an inv invitation to lunch or dine at the White House is a command <laughs> and automatically cancels any other engagement. My friends, we have an invitation to the throne and that should cancel anything that would keep us from having that engagement. Isn't it thrilling to think that we're one with the God of heaven? That's a reality. That's fact. I am the true vine. Ye are the branches. But abide in me. Remain in a communing, full, dependent, obedient relationship with me. Let the Father guide you to victory over your sin and you can live in that, that daily victory. Folks, the Christian life can be seven days a week, 24 hours a day as far as a sweet communion with God. And he'll give divine enabling, as I already emphasized, and I in you, there at the first part of verse 4. John 14, 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And so we have the power, the enabling that we need to accomplish anything. There's not a sin God cannot conquer. There's not a bit of wisdom that you need that he will not give to you. He's able to overcome the relationship tensions, at least on your side. And he will answer prayer for the other side. He is a God that will do exceeding abundantly above all, all what you ask or think. That's our God. And then, finally, the branch that does not abide. That's a serious matter. Verse 6 is jarring, frankly. Life's results will be worthless. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now we know, as I've already said, this is but an illustration. We know we have eternal life and an eternal relationship with the Lord. What this is saying is, when we are not abiding, we're depending on ourselves, there's something between us and the Savior, our branch begins to wither, we don't have any fruit, and we are worthless. And my friends, vine wood is worthless if it isn't alive bearing fruit. You have a branch broken off, that branch is not even good for fuel or to cause you to be warm. Where they get rid of dead Vine wood is in a garbage heap. That's the illustration. Well, there's a good passage that deals with that, 1 Corinthians 3.11. For, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abides which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, for he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. How many believers are going to see a lot of their self-effort like a withered, worthless vine branch. Oh, they're a believer. They still are in Christ. They still have eternal life. But much of their life has only been temporal. It has not been for eternity. And very little fruit that will last. You can build a beautiful home and spend a long time in building it. I knew a couple that did that, that, that they gave their life to that, not to serving the Lord, and be awakened in the middle of the night to see it's on fire. You get out and you're saved, but all that your effort has been put into is lost. And many a Christian life will be that way. You see, it's only what Jesus does through us that will last. And so... Our life will be exposed and rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. A verse we often quote, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Every one of us, and it could be in a, several months, it really could be in a few months. Jesus could come back at any time. And we will stand there. And all that's good, Jesus is what is good. All that is bad is what we do. We're not being judged for sin. That will be done at the white throne judgment. This will be where everything that God did through us and in us will stand. Gold, silver, precious stone. And we will be made manifest. No more image making. No more how you look on social media. It's going to be how you look on divine media. <laughs> I never said that before. I don't know if that fits. Anyway, uh, but, but seriously, folks, we're going to stand there for who we are. We're going to be known as we're known. You're going to know Abraham. You don't know what he looks like, but you're going to know him by who he is. And you'll be known for what God has done in your life and has not been allowed to do. And it could be soon. And I tell you, friends, we need to understand that there's no reason for us to be horrified at that moment because we're connected to the vine. If we'll just depend upon the vine and have a humble, submissive attitude and see where we are resisting and where our selfishness is, God can just do an abiding work. Let me finish with this illustration. We'll be done. Roy Hesse, a, a really um, successful evangelist in England, knew he had lost the power of the Spirit of God in his life. And um, he just knew he needed something. So in 1947, he met with the leaders of the East African Church, which was experiencing a tremendous sweeping revival. And he recognized his personal need. 
It was like starting the Christian life all over. He had to humble himself and realize he was depending upon himself using his natural giftings, not seeking God, not seeing God do what is done when you're abiding in Christ. If you've ever read the book, The Calvary Road by Him, it came out of that humbling experience. Frankly, it's an excruciating book to read, but a very helpful book to read. But then after he wrote that, he was asked, well, is this kind of revival in your personal life something that just happens? And is sort of over, he said, no, it's continuous. I mean, a thing that is in the past is in the past is not affecting me in the present. But Jesus is alive in the present. And his blood has never lost its power. And he said, this revival movement is the biggest demonstration of continuous revival. They've had it for 50 years. And he talks about all of that. But my friends, God wants you to have continuous revival because you are in the one who is life. I am, he said. I am that I am. I am the true vine. Abide in me. Put everything else aside. Abide in me. Let's bow for prayer.